Hello and welcome to another episode of the Autumn History Podcast. I'm Susie Ferguson. Today we're in Paris speaking with Mark Ames, who is a permanent research fellow working on the Ottoman Empire at the National Center for Scientific Research and also on the board of the European Journal of Turkish Studies. Uh, he is also the author of numerous published works, including a book um, in English translation entitled A Provincial History of the Ottoman Empire, Cyprus and the Eastern Mediterranean in the 19th Century. So indeed, the topic of our discussion today is what uh, Mark has called the provincial history of the Ottoman Empire, um, in this case as told through the history of Ottoman Cyprus in the middle decades of the 19th century. So Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, and I should I should start by saying that prior to reading this book, uh, I did not know as much as I would have liked to know, or uh, I indeed now see should have known about Ottoman Cyprus. Um, but I had also not thought carefully about the concept that I think is really at the heart of your work in this book, which is the idea of of the province and provinciality. And that sort of, you know, upon reflection surprised me, given that I think the province is a concept that comes up over and over again in Ottoman history and historiography, you know, especially of the 19th century, uh, as we discuss the sort of centralization and reform of the Tanzimat, which are often seen as the centralization of state power, um, that sort of tightening of power coming from Istanbul over provincial locations, We also have kind of trends in economic history that think about provisionalism, you know, the province as a site for mainly its function was mainly to provision the center, right? So having come across all of these um, these kind of historiographical theories, I had not really thought carefully about what actually is a province and what constitutes a province. So I thought we could start by asking you just that very basic question, what, what makes a place a province? What terms did the did the Ottomans use to refer to provincial locations? Did they have a term that they used um, to refer to, say, both Cyprus and Lebanon, for example, as provinces? Um, or, or is this really a term that comes into our thinking through European languages, such as French or English, um, at a later date? Well, at first it came to my thinking through this kind of French training or French uh, life world of mine, one may say. And of course, I, I, I realized it would be this would be too much of a of an extrapolation uh, to to use it in or to put it into an Ottoman context without checking a little bit what what the, the Ottomans might mean, um, what what kind of notions that they might use that that would be close to 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 the the, the connotation of the word which I myself had in mind when when using it in French or in English. Right. And the thing is, uh, actually, uh, the the overtones that apply uh, in Ottoman context and in the Ottoman semantics, to to the extent that I could, you know, assess them, are very close to to the ones you may found in French or in English. That is the this kind of derogatory uh, overtones of calling a province some place that actually remains a bit isolated from the general global or, or not global, at least regional trends of history, you know, almost a place without any history or a boring place and, and so on and so forth. And this idea actually uh, is very close to what might be found in, in some documents or some, some dictionaries also when, when you look at the, the many words that existed for, for province in Ottoman, especially the word Tashra, you know, the, this, this word that comes from the The, the word that nowadays even in Turkish is used, the, the dışarı idea, that right. is the, the idea of being on the outside uh, somewhere 
uh, exterior to, 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 to the central uh, places, to, to, the, to the metropolis. And of course, this is, I mean, Tashra is not, is not the only one. Right. Uh, you, you have also uh, words like more administrative notions, such as Eyalet and Vilayet, of course, which is familiar to, to all Ottoman historians, I guess. And also, so words more, uh, you know, closer to the idea of uh, the sultans exerting a dominion over, over land or, and over a territory, such as the Memleket notion, the, this, this, this notion of. Memleket lech, memali kumahruse. So this, right. this also could be a translation for what we, what I chose to call province. Right. And, but then there is also this idea of provincial manners and provincial language and provincial kind of you know behavior, uh, very in very loose definition of the of the, of the term. And here you come closer to to this idea of tashra as being you know. From the outside, from the outside of almost from the outside of civilization, right, uh, or somewhere where no no significant thing uh, ever happened, right, yeah. kind of a backwater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so and so and and this is basically what the, the the first idea that comes to mind, I guess, in French for sure, and and probably in other languages when you call a place a provincial one, you 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 think of something that has you know, been taking only slightly part. Uh, what What's to be gained by studying Ottoman history from the province, whether from Ottoman Cyprus or elsewhere? Well, it's it's very, you know, nice question, but a difficult one to, to answer. The, the The thing is, as, as you mentioned, the, the Cyprus, the idea of working on Cyprus was uh, very much one of working on it as a case study, that is, as a... As a one particular place where to put certain, uh, you know, ideas to the test without thinking that they will only apply to Cyprus in the end. Right. And uh, so, of course, there are many, uh, you know, peculiars that you may uh, also need to, to to bear in mind when you deal with Cyprus as as a place. You know, it's not necessarily a place like any other right. p- places. I mean, the same same holds true for for any other. Right. Uh, places that once was part of the Ottoman Empire, and that was my issue when when looking at the the historiography of what is usually called provincial history or history of the provinces of the Ottoman Empire. The issue is, of course, after a while you tend to deal with your case as an exceptional one, right? Because well, you're very fond of it for 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 a start, I mean, <laughs> uh, or or I mean maybe if you, if you continue working. With these people we, and with these documents and uh, and so on, uh, that means you, you develop some kind of a, of a related, you know, you started relating to, to to what's going on and to what these people did or have been doing. Right. What's spe- what's specific about the case? So it seems like what you're pointing out is that often, you know, we have a sort of perhaps an imperial level of history where we think about, you know, or historians have thought about the Ottoman Empire as a system or as a sort of some of many parts and then there's the kind of tendency of people who work on a particular you know one particular place to go to the opposite extreme which is that you know this place in its specificity is unlike any other place Um, and so what I see you doing then maybe is to try to develop kind of a middle scale where you know thinking about places that are provinces um, whatever that in whatever sense that mean that you know we take that uh, is a useful approach 
Mm. But maybe you could tell us, I mean, uh, we could turn to this issue of kind of the how of how you do provincial history, right? I mean, you mentioned that it requires reading in a specific way in, you know, particular imperial archives, um, Ottoman, British and French. It also, I believe, required you going to Cyprus and trying to explore, you know, what's available there. I mean, um, what can you tell us about, you know, how you think one should or could do provincial history? Hmm. Now, that's tricky because I, I think I basically wanted to just enter into a discussion with the whole range of histories of the provinces in the Ottoman Empire which I could find. Right. And so it's very heterogeneous in nature. So my attempt at re, you know, encompassing a certain amount of what I could read be it in primary sources or or literature or uh, secondary literature my attempt itself is of course uh, heterogeneous in its result you know uh, hence the way i actually i mean this this book you mentioned is part of, of uh, what i did for my uh, phd dissertation which also uh, had a second part to it more focused on the the question of how the tanzimat the ottoman reforms got implemented in a, a province like Cyprus right. or, or any place else, right? And uh, and but actually, the, the book, the, the the dissertation itself was again heterogeneous. Mm. So you had uh, this question of the provincial prism. I mean, what kind of tool do we have when we right. when we when we speak of a province? On the one hand, and then an attempt at using it to to address another kind of problem, being this idea of how uh, reform that are said to be a very much top-down project right. get to be, you know, somehow done or, or, or to uh, get endowed with some level of reality, you know. Uh, how do these things happen right. in such a place? Well, so this is a this is a great example, I think, of, you know, um, one of the things that we can gain from looking at Ottoman history from the province, right, from Cyprus, which is to sort of reflect on this question of, you know, the Tanzimat as centralizing, as, you know, sort of state power making its way out into the into the provinces. I mean, um, what did you what did you learn about that process from looking at how they were implemented, say, or not implemented in Cyprus? I guess what I learned is that, I mean, we have this kind of prismatic structure I was telling you about that can be called provincial for mm. the sake of finding, you know, naming it some extent with a, with a name that is not too much of a you know jargon kind of a, right. a language and then and then this prismatic structure structure means a lot in terms of how we uh, we are ourselves determined in our research to find things or not find things that is uh, i'm i'm a bit i'm not uh, skeptical about whether the reforms to, to name the, the Tanzimat right. themselves, whether right. the Tanzimat were or, or were not implemented uh, in in the Ottoman provinces. I'm just saying the province in the singular, that is, uh, this prismatic structure, this kind of complex linkage between uh, different levels of decision-making and uh, social organization right. and, and also uh, paperwork, 
all this is is a mess in a way. That is, we we have to 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 make do with all these constraints. Mm. The first one being, of course, that of uh, perusing a, a very large and, and and not so systematic amount of archival material, right? And then getting something out of it. So, one of my points in the end was to stress but this of course led me to, to be to be labeled a, a kind of postmodernist you mm. know which which I don't feel I am but the but the one of the one of the points was to stress which to my knowledge has been very little done mm. that if the tanzimat occurred at all to begin with they occurred as a, a paperwork process itself right. that is the fact that they significantly changed the the paper landscape of their uh, users, let's say, right. not only the, the, the bureaucrats or, or, the, or the people who were in charge of some secretarial system at various levels within the, the administration or within the church or, or, or any place, you right. know, and also needi- needing some paper to, to, to ascertain their, their rights to property or to... Mm. Or to so, it's, it's, so there's it's a kind of bureaucratization almost that... You see happening, I'm sure or I, I'm not sure I, I would use the word bureaucratization because I'm I'm a bit wary of this uh, this kind of Weberian, um, you know, uh, rationalization right. of the process itself, right. which already occurs when people describe the Tanzimat as a centralization process. Right. And I think people like uh, Jens Hansen and 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 w- working on Beirut and, right. and Maurice Rankowski and on Albania or and, and Lebanon also, for that matter, did a lot to to kind of disentangle the 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 analysis of the, of the this period from the the this kind of uh, centralization uh, right. conceptualization so i mean it seems to me if i'm if i'm following correctly that part of what you're saying is that you know um people like like hansen and others have noted that it was important that there were kind of local intermediaries who also and not even local. I mean, intermediaries at all levels of kind of uh, Ottoman statecraft, say, uh, mm. from you know from the city to the region to the central government, who are whose agendas are important in understanding how the Tanzimat or the reforms might have been implemented. But part of what you're pointing out is that it's also about the tools, right? That a new set of tools, a new set of papers, of you know. Um, things that needed to be stamped and written and signed and passed around also emerged as part of the implementation of these reforms. And that without understanding that circulation of paper, um, we don't actually know what the Tanzimats were. It seems, seems, yes, exactly. It seems to be a kind of a fundamental preliminary step, but not only technically speaking, also intellectually speaking, conceptually speaking. I mean, it's not just that, well, I just, First, need to have a good reading of how the documents look like. I mean, what what people call diplomatics, you know, that is knowing how to read a document, a historical document, and knowing from its uh, organization, you know, on paper, what it is right. you have to deal what with. What it was doing, who was who was it being sent to and from? And um, I want to ask you about one other sort of perhaps hypothesis that I thought your book was kind of testing out um, along with this idea of Tanzimat reform as centralizing. You're also, I think, interested in this, this question of Europe, right? And sort of the, this is the moment of the Eastern question. This is the moment of, um, you know, trying to figure out uh, what, 
what was the role of European actors and ideas in Ottoman life at various scales um, in the 19th century? So uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what you think that looking at that question, which um, I think, you know, appears over and over in 19th century Ottoman history, you know, what, how do we conceptualize the role of Europe? Um, how does looking at that question from Cyprus maybe change or enrich some of the ideas we have about how to characterize that encounter? Here, one register in particular, or a bundle of registers uh, coming from the Ottomans at a specific date, uh, indeed allowed me to, to draw a sketchy map, a very partial map of what certain uh, people were said to own or control uh, as far as real estate is concerned uh, in the island. Mm -hmm. And this specific category of people being those who are related to European protection, I mean right. the protection of European uh, consulates. And this, is, uh, this can be handled because maybe on account of being indeed on, under European protection or maybe for some other reasons, uh, these people are clearly and fully named Right. So, uh, even this, the, those people who did the census in the first place were able to establish relationship between what uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. John Doe uh, owning something in that village and what this other John Doe owning another land in another village. They were actually able to, 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 to check that this John Doe was the same person and, right. and put it on paper, which, which they usually don't when it comes to standard uh, subjects of, of, of the empire right. and just, just calling them by, by their usual names and leaving you with no clue as far as whether this is the same person or not, whether this Ahmed, uh, right. even so Muhammad is the same one here and there. So here, there's something here, you have a different kind of information available to you because yeah. of these people's And here they, they use a different, status, a different yeah. method of collection right. of information. Right. So this allowed me to, to, to sketch this, this map of real estate you know, distribution right. in the island uh, having to do with people of, or families who did uh, over a, dec a decade or, or, or two also claim to be uh, protected by European uh, consulates, right. uh, one or several at the same time. And so, yes, you have s some idea of and some, some, some somehow surprising uh, picture of these people are actually uh, being active mm. uh, over a large sketch of the island, mm. way beyond the, the, the so-called hinterlands right. of the, the the main, well, very small, but still the main, the main port, port cities, cities in the island, expect. where where they were expected to do trade and then maybe develop few real estate properties. They are very, you know, uh, yeah, developed, and their properties are. are uh, distributed all over the, mm. the country, at least as far as the, uh, the eastern part of the mm -hmm. island is concerned. Right. Then, I mean, it stops here, I'm afraid. That is mm. to say, you, you, you do have this kind of picture, but be it uh, in terms of how you account for what's going on. I mean, uh, why, for instance, do they have properties in that part of the island and not the rest? Right. Uh, and also in... in even temporal terms, I mean, in in terms of knowing whether this lasted right. beyond a certain period changed. and how yeah. it changed over time. 
But I think what's interesting about doing that work in the context of a book like this one, um, which is, as you say, I think kind of testing some of the major hypotheses of 19th century Ottoman history, uh, you know, what I what it sort of suggested to my mind is that, um, you know, that the European encounter, right, capital EE, whatever we want to call it, uh, is actually you know, when you read about it in 19th century Ottoman history, you're usually reading about the kind of hopes and dreams or anxieties of statesmen and intellectuals and politicians um, in Istanbul or even in various, we might say, provincial centers, right? But so what that very humble map that you described, which I'm sure must have taken endless hours to put together, uh, indicates to me is that we might actually profitably think about an encounter with something called Europe as being as importantly kind of played out in the province, in the hinterland, in the daily life encounters between Ahmad ibn Muhammad and, you know, his neighbor who owns, also owns a piece of land in the middle of eastern Cyprus, you know what I mean? So this seemed to me to be quite a, um, a provocative move or, or, or a fruitful move for future historians who might want to think about the province not as a place where the main currents of 19th century history were absent, right? But rather is actually the place where we have to look if we're going to understand something like the encounter with Europe. Yeah. Yeah, at least, I mean, the, the this, this idea of getting to, to a different scale, I mean, which is also very, very directly coming from the microstoria, clearly. Right, right. And, uh, uh, and so using as many scales as possible, uh, I, I think is important in terms of how we deal with documentation, I mean, I'm, I feel it's really central to my work to 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 to, to stress that this this idea of starting from specific uh, reading endeavors and 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 not getting rid of the documents themselves too quickly uh, because of uh, some kind of temptation to 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 put them back into a, a framework that. Uh, Okay, you 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 feel it's uh, it's getting different thanks to your research, but still uh, it's very much kind of a, an encounter between a framework and and a, a right. documentation. Right. My hypothesis, uh, uh, I think, is more of a uh, trying to to go as far as possible in uh, into the direction of knowing what kind of. Uh, uh, kind of indigenous uh, theorization mm-hmm. the documents themselves have to offer you know mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. trying to to to, to recreate a, a symmetrical relationships between frameworks themselves not between a framework that comes from nowadays let's say and a documents however nicely and 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 carefully uh, read right. it it might be because if you Organize a dialogue between the framework and the documents. The framework will will be obviously victorious in right. the end. So, I mean, this brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you, which is that you know your approach to provincial history seems to be drawn in part from uh, Deepesh Chakrabarti's book, Pro- Provincializing Europe, right? Which sort of you know kind of expressed the idea that it's not just about doing what you might call history of the provinces right applying the ways of doing history doing research telling stories to elsewhere right to in his case you know the non-west or the colonized world i mean in your case to the province but rather at least in my reading kind of going to, in his case, the non-West, to ask if there might be other frameworks, other epistemologies, ways of reading, ways of telling a story 
things that might be considered, you know, in place of what we would call evidence um, that come from, you know, the non-hegemonic space uh, and that this might actually change the way that we can think or do history. Um, and so you ask, you know, in the book, I think you ask something like, um, how can Ottoman history sort of enter into Chakrabarti's project, giving us perhaps um, new methods or new frameworks or new hypotheses about how to do history itself. So I, I wanted to pose that question to you, having, you know, as you finish the, the work and continue to think about these questions, you know, what, what can studying Ottoman history uh, or in particular, you know, kind of perhaps indigenous or local provincial modes of knowledge making in a place like Cyprus, um, do for us as historians? I mean, how can how can it change the way we think of history itself? Yes, thank you very much. I mean, it's a quite elaborate question and difficult to answer again. But the but the thing is, I would my first answer spontaneously would be the contribution it can make is to to some extent humble us even mm. more than we used to be. I mean, because mm. so. Uh, Clearly, I mean, uh, part of, the, of, of learning the, the craft to, to, to learn some kind of humility in front of documents and, and in front of the, the you know, uh, engulfing mass of literature and documentation mm. that we have to deal with on a daily basis. So, but, but clearly, uh, I think the, the, this, yes, I mean, part of my idea about provincial history uh, took its cue from, from Chakrabarti's uh, proposal of, uh, of shifting the, the, our lens of analysis away from, from a, a Europe-centered perspective right. towards some, some other places where, where it could be usefully uh, redefined. Uh, now, uh, without entering a specific discussion of Chakrabarti's book itself, I mean, the, the Provincializing Europe book, I mean, uh, one may also notice that Chakrabarti's work itself is very much uh, kind of looping the loop in terms of getting back in the end or, 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 or maintaining this idea of the the, the, the capital, the, the something borrows from, from the, the Marxist right. understanding of history and very much keeping it as a central framework uh, and a central kind of... Uh, you know, uh, organization, uh, even for as far as its research program right. is concerned. So one may, of course, uh, wonder whether the the move away from Europe is is so much complete. Uh, yeah, under, under or possible. I mean, again, it strikes me that this might humble us. You know, that that the the person, the very person who, in some ways, poses this question, even in his work, the the move cannot be quite complete, as you say, right? Um, it's it's a difficulty, but again, I mean, uh, one, one should also be uh, doing this. I mean, kind of uh, questions and answer uh, uh, exercise, having one or two pages of Chakrabarti's book to to comment on while we do it. That mm. would be, I, I think, the, the fair way to do it mm. because here we we are actually hinting at more a more general level that mm. that might be might be. Uh, uh, already an interpretation uh, and not a very uh, well I think you know we will we will put uh, talk about this book in the bibliography for this episode <laughs> for anybody who wants to uh, and I Go do back to it, yeah. I do think that probably the page by page study is uh, is what's required yeah. um, but I really you know I just wanted to ask I, and maybe we're getting at an answer sort of I, I like the the sort of humbling 
moment. But, you know, I think that one of the suggestions about doing provincial history is actually that it does force us to reflect on what is evidence, what is a document, you know, how do we, how can, how do we approach um, the various levels of communication and administration uh, and politics and affect that go into the making of any minor decision in Ottoman Cyprus, you know, as it gets reflected back to the metropole and the archive um, and, and sort of how do we tease those things out as, as historians. So, you know, perhaps indeed humility is the, uh, <laughs> is the best approach. Welcome back to the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Susie Ferguson, and uh, I'm here in Paris today talking with Mark Ames, who is a permanent research fellow at the National Center for Scientific Research in Paris. Um, And we're talking today about uh, the question of provincial history of the Ottoman Empire, and particularly of Ottoman Cyprus. Um, And we've talked, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the sort of the difficulties and that the sort of absences that make doing provincial history difficult, right? And also the many scales and levels of um, characters and of documents that one has to deal with. But I think, you know, I'd like to sort of um, turn to what has perhaps been, been the elephant in the room up to this point, which is the fact that, you know, the 19th century history of Ottoman Cyprus is, um, is quite, is in some ways quite unique, Right. I mean, your your period of 1821 to 1878, I think is that's correct, uh, is I mean, 1821 is the beginning of the war, the uprisings that will culminate in the independence of Greece. Right. And 1878 is the, the oncoming of the of the British occupation of Cyprus. Right. And we, of course, now know Cyprus today as a as a kind of fault line between Turks and Greeks, um, and still sort of under uncomfortable joint governorship or political governorship, although only recognized, I think, by Turkey at this moment. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, what your research, your research on Ottoman Cyprus and on provincial life, um, how, how that helps us think about this, this, the story of Cyprus in the 19th century. Um, you know, what, what happens to social life there? Uh, as the 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 Greek um, uprisings begin, well, what I can say, and I'm I'm surely not the the, the most uh, skillful person and, and knowledgeable person on, on these topics, uh, because uh, many people are, uh, have been carried out to work on on this period as well in Cyprus or, or elsewhere, uh, such as uh, Mihalis Mihail at the University of Cyprus, for instance. Mm. And uh, what I know about is that well, okay, we when we go to the even the, the classics and the, and the history of the island uh, dating back to, to, to the to the nineteen uh, fifties, uh, we we hear of the the way the eighteen twenty one events reverberated uh, right. in Cyprus. Then we're not sure what we read about. I mean, we we read about uh, people getting uh, arrested and, and killed, and especially members of the of the of the church or people linked to, to the mm. church and to the to the system of tax collection that was also organized uh, around the church itself. 
we read about them being executed or forced into into exile and so on and so forth. So that's that's something we have a few documents about, mm. and, and I, I could find a few more even, uh, especially on how the Ottomans uh, uh, were uh, uh, thinking of their policy in Cyprus uh, with a reminiscence of what had taken place a decade earlier. You right. know, I have in, in the book uh, documents or several versions of the same documents on how to reorganize, to normalize, one may say, to, to, to restore peace, right. uh, civil peace, uh, and organizing the return home of, of, of uh, people who had fled uh, after 1821. And so I, I, I try and study these documents on how they want to reorganize tax collection, mm. reassess who's owning what, mm -hmm. because, of course, people leaving the island uh, on, on this kind of forced migration basis right. means other people getting their lands and, and estates uh, you know, right. as their own, in a way. And so they really enter this kind of cyclical uh, system that Maurice Reinkowski uh, very nicely uh, analyzed in, in his book, Die Dinge der Ordnung, that is this idea that repression is to be followed after a while by a kind of amnesty mm. and, and, and re back to normal right. uh, um, policy. Which, to the extent that I can understand it in the separate case, is what happened. But mm. here we're talking about the 1820s, 1830s. Right. After that, it completely leaves the room. You know, mm. there is no way or no clear way, except again uh, on a reminiscent mode of, oh yes, this guy was the son of this guy who was killed by right. the governor, this kind of cruel governor of ours back thirty uh, years ago. Otherwise, there is no nothing new happens mm. in a way. No. But so, I mean, just um, you'll have to forgive my, my basic in ignorance of the history of Cyprus, but I mean, do all of the Christians leave uh, in, by 1831? The story uh, doesn't unfold the way one would anticipate it to do. That is, uh, my, my own situation was to approach the case study of Cyp Cyprus at the beginning in a way of thinking oh, there must be something, you know, looking right. at what's going on in Damascus in the 1860s right. and, 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 yeah, the Greek situation, uh, whatever that means. I mean, after right. the independence, again, the, the uh, and then, yes, as you said, the British uh, taking over uh, and, and, you know, their growing influence but in so the region. But so what you're saying is we might, I mean, and perhaps you, when you began your project, sort of anticipated um, that there might be kind of um, sectarian or communal strife or, uh, you know, the sort of separating out of um, people into, into com communities based on religion, right, or ethno-religious communities. Um, and so it sounds like maybe that wasn't quite what you found. The thing is, I, I'm not sure what I found. I, I, I'm, I'm sure of uh, what I so far didn't see uh, happening okay. uh, using the sources I, I, could, I could trace, mm. you know. So, so and, and then what I suggest is, well, maybe uh, our understanding of history is, again, extrapolating mm. a certain, you know, geometry of, mm -hmm. of history, And, and and geometry of scales mm. and, and which so which scale determines the others right. upon this case or upon the region at large. Whereas, for instance, to, to, to quote Reinkowski again, w w if one took this kind of cyclical understanding of, mm. you know, uh, organizing the provincial mm. uh, society uh, as far as the Ottomans thought that they, they were doing, right. 
if one took this and and used it also as a historiographical device mm. itself, you know, taking their tool seriously at our own theoretical level, yeah. that could be also part of a of a different pattern of hypothesis. That is, of course, not a claim to 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 more validity than the other, but at least you know mm. maybe that that could lead us to 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 answer the the questions we we, mm. we ask, and especially this. I mean, th- th- this uh, also is something that uh, one can find bothering when when looking at Cyprus in particular or the region in general. Th- this idea that there is a transition mm. to something, right? And 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 so we know both the point of departure and the point of, ar- of arrival. Right. What is left for the historians uh, humbly to determine is how, how we got we there, got there <laughs> from A to B, right. which is a bit dispiriting, right. one may say. I mean, maybe we don't know for sure what the B or what the A points yeah. are. And so, well, it's a, it's a nice point because it suggests, um, you know, that this kind of perhaps what we might call an Ottoman administrative temporality about kind of returning to status quo ante, right? Like... Um, there were the the Greek events, and then we're going to fix it by improving improving our administrative policies, fixing errors in taxation, all of this, and things will go back to the way they were. Actually, really interrupt the kind of history that the little potted history that I just told, which is that well, in eighteen twenty one there's this, and then in eighteen thirty one there's Greek independence, and then in eighteen seventy eight there's the British. You know, it's a kind of um, it's an alternative to an event that kind of eventful history uh, that we're quite that we're very familiar with, um, perhaps in in French and, and English and, academia. And, and to, 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 to go to this, uh, to, to the, the last part of, the, of this chronology you mentioned, I mean, the, 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 the kind of ascent of the British to, to power, so to speak, in Cyprus, uh, let, me, let me be clear that I, I didn't, in the end, although I wanted to, to look more into this, I didn't find the, the, a way to add this uh, in mm. terms of archival materials mm. and, and amount of time it, it needed to add this to the to the period I had, and I, I finally focused on that is the the period that I let's say I decided it ended in the 1860s. Mm. That is the, when the Ottomans decide to engage to a new and indeed a very much provincially conceived. A set of reforms. Mm. I mean, the, the so-called Vilayet right. Nizam Namisi, right. starting in the 1864 mm. uh, uh, Danube province, and then uh, progressively being uh, generalized, or at least, uh, you know, uh, tried out in, right. in, in different places, uh, is something I still uh, would need to to to, to look at to, right. to be to be to be mm. uh, to get a more complete f- uh, picture. And let me really uh, stress that the, the Bashbakanuk archives in Istanbul do actually for people who, who would like to work on Cyprus itself. They seem, I mean, I, as far as I could see, without being able to to delve into that, they have a very nice uh, series of of uh, what they call Kubris Mutasadlfrüz, that mm. is the governorship of Cyprus, yeah. which includes actually the whole sets of correspondence exchanged between uh, uh, civil servants of theirs between provinces, you know, so within let, let within within the, the various levels of administration within the islands as far as because Cyprus a gold, was a gold mine, you might say. Oh so yeah, let oh this yeah. be a I, note I think there's to, a gold mine and to future still people looking for future start projects. Really working on that. Yeah. And well, I great. think that that would be great for for people to to to. to, to 
Well, you, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> so for all of our listeners who are looking for their next project and want something that comes already organized for you in the Bashba Khanlik, it sounds uh, it sounds good. Um, so maybe it's a good chance then to just finish by asking you to tell us a little bit how um, your work on this kind of provincial history and thinking through the difficulties of doing it, both conceptually and, you know, in terms of archives and documents, um, how does that lead into your your current work and what what you're doing what you're doing now well i think i mainly i mean if i retros in retrospect if i try to to rationalize the the, the right. way we're telling it a unfolded. linear history now we're <laughs> exactly, presuming we exactly, know a and b exactly. we may not know that's my job <laughs> but the I, I guess i followed the paper trail in a way that is uh, I, I i took an inspiration from the this question of how the Ottomans used their own papers as a tool of power or as a tool of, you know, social uh, organization of uh, of either hierarchies or, or mm. also economic, you know, uh, relations. Relations, and uh, and so in so doing, uh, yeah, I stick to the to the idea that the the content and the form remain kind of a uh, unique uh, matter. In a way, and and must be dealt with, with uh, accordingly, and uh, and also I basically uh, I know I was still, and I remained very much puzzled by the way uh, when you you know when you want to do Ottoman diplomatics, that is to to know better what I was mentioning earlier, uh, how Ottoman documents are formatted right. uh, by by their own scribes and by by the administration or, or chancery services well i guess one one key book to to to, to refer to is mubarak uh, kutukolus osmanli diplomatic i think or uh, now now of course i osmanli bergedelin dili and so on and i remember really having a lot of difficulties reading this book but it's it's so mm. Such a nice book, but, but so your your interest in um, in in papers and power, shall we say, uh, has led you to a project on on forgery and on sort of questioning. You know, how do people very clearly use documents um, in a way that was perhaps not intended or sanctioned by the people who uh, they were either sent by or received from? Exactly. Yeah. The so thing we'll is, I, I was struck to 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 notice that in in this book I was mentioning Kutukolos, mm. the the late Ottoman history, mm. uh, diplomatics of late Ottoman history is a bit you know left aside. Mm. Obviously, I don't know because uh, 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 Mubarak Hoxha had uh, had less materials mm. or, or, or was mm. less confident in 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 dealing with this period. So you have a few examples, but it's uh, it's uh, and of course because uh, when you nowadays go to the archives, you you can see how large. The, the amount of documentation is as uh, as far as the 19th century is right. concerned then you cannot be you know but struck by the disproportion mm. I mean, so little on mm. this in this book right. for such a large amount of papers and very varied <laughs> you know uh, paper uh, kind of uh, paperwork yeah so so I, I i just you know i got back to this uh, you know uh, curiosity of mind mm. on on what to do in in knowing more of the diplomatics of 19th mm. century or early 20th century Ottoman history and if you think of it actually diplomatic starts with forgery i mean mm. it starts with 
ascertaining, I mean, giving people a clear means to ascertain the what they call the sincerity right. of a document. Right. Because this document has to do with a power granting right. certain rights and privileges to certain hmm. people in, in a society. So sort of stamps and, and so seals. Is, and yeah, yeah. And so this is a famous, in, 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 in France, of course, people working at... Uh, at the schools of uh, you know history or, or also paleography are very proud to 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 refer to uh, uh, Mabillon's uh, famous treaty in 1681 mm. uh, Dere Diplomatica that is the so it's, uh, of things uh, diplomatical of diplomatical things right uh, or, and this treaty is kind of a you know keystone uh, uh, of this kind of knowledge of documents right. and which actually prompted the disciplines that we nowadays link and merge into what we call history. Mm. Well, this, this was actually derived yeah. from this first set of how to, you know, assess critically what a document is telling you about. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, to, as historians, we're, we're constantly dealing, whether we like it or admit it or not, with this with the question of, I don't know about authenticity of documents, but certainly, you know, um, how to read them, right? Are they... And it requires you to know things that you can't know. Uh, so it seems to me that, that turning to the, to the actual documents themselves and the question of how people were forging or um, making up or sort of changing documents uh, will really maybe hopefully tell us quite a bit about um, as you say late late 19th century Ottoman diplomatic life uh, as well as being of interest to, to people who study you know imperial governance anywhere really um, so maybe when you finish this this next large project uh, we, we can uh, we can come back and have another conversation so uh, Mark I want to I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today thank you very much my pleasure and uh, I think, you know, the discussion has given us a lot of food for thought about um, the methods and mechanisms of doing Ottoman history, uh, or, or indeed really any history at all, in terms of, you know, how we read a document and how we think about scales. Um, and it's also introduced us to a kind of fascinating Ottoman provincial world, um, which I think, as you noted, in the case of Cyprus as well as elsewhere, um, much more research remains to be done. So, you know, we look forward to, uh, to, to seeing that. Uh, develop. Um, so for those who want to find out more about provincial history and Ottoman Cyprus, uh, you can visit our website, www.ottomanhistorypodcast.com, um, where we'll post a bibliography with the works that we've mentioned today and other works um, which might be interesting and useful. Uh, and you can also, of course, find many hundreds of other episodes from the Ottoman History Podcast, um, many of which deal with questions actually of provincial history, even if they don't uh, characterize it as such. Um, you can also join us on Facebook, where we encourage you to leave comments and questions and stay in touch with the rest of the Ottoman History Podcast community, uh, which is now over 20,000 strong. That's all for this episode. Until next time, take care. <laughs>